Recording in progress. Okay. It's going to be a great time. Oh, boy. Okay. Does that sound interesting? Damn, I look so good. Right, let's just wait. You ready? Four hours later. Dear Tech. Oh. That like, made me tired. Welcome back, everyone. And today we're asking, Dear Tech, what's up with interviews these days? Fran, what is up with interviews these days? That is a grand old question. What's up with interviews these days? Um, me personally, I'm trying, well, how long has it been since I interviewed? It has been a little over a year and a half since I've interviewed. So my my experiences and my perceptions may be a little bit different but i was i was actually curious to talk to you about kind of like best and worst personal experiences you've had at least from the a tech recruiter perspective mm. um for myself i won't name names but best interview experience i've had was structured organized, clear communication from recruiters, um, expectations were clear, timelines were clear, and I was able to, it wasn't just an evaluation of me and my skills and my competencies. It I also was able to connect with the interviewers, ask questions, and it felt like it was like a dual conversation. Mm-hmm. the least enjoyable interview I've ever had. Just say the worst. Why you got a sugar? <laughs> the least enjoyable. I still enjoy it. Could it be nice. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, the least enjoyable interview I've ever had was a, I had to apply. I had to take a assessment. I had to speak with someone and then I had a phone screen. I had to speak with someone else. And then I had a multi-segmented interview. I'm not going to say anything else. Otherwise, people are not going to know what I'm talking about. But yeah. multi-segmented interview, um, that to me, honestly, just felt really rigid. I think, I think from a beneficial perspective, it was... Um, it was clear and concise and probably beneficial from a company perspective to evaluate my competency. But from my perspective, it just seemed kind of cold. Mm-hmm. Um, my own personal interest and in like how I view my, my job and my career, like I want a balance of, um, what are, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I want that balance of like, connection culture with my job like i it's for me it's not just the job mm-hmm. it's like the people you're with it's the experiences you have um did, so yeah did Best you get both worst. offers i did you got both offers okay <laughs> see so i mean that's why she said if least. my hair was down i'd yeah. flip it right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah i did um but it's interesting. I think it's like to each their own. Like some people may love that um, experience and it may work well for, for certain people and not others. So it's it's definitely subjective in a lot of ways. What about you? Experiences you've had interviewing best and worst? So my best is actually a role I didn't get, but it was still mm-hmm. the best experience. Um, cool. It was a, at that time it was like a, it was it was kind of a lateral step, but maybe a little bit for a company that was like significantly better than the company I was at. Um, and it was similar. It was like relatively quick. Uh, everything was like, they were like, this is what we're doing. They did it. The only thing that I didn't love was when I got the rejection call, like I didn't get any actual feedback, like any real, like they they were like, Oh, like you haven't worked in X type of a company before. And that's why. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, eh, that's mm-hmm. kind of shitty. Uh, but besides that, 
everything was quick. I found out within, I think it was like two weeks. Like I applied, interview, second round, like phone screen, first round, second round, third round, which was like all in the same day. And Mm -hmm. then it was really quick, which I loved. Um, Worst, I think, and I think most people's worst are the same, right? Like when it's like really stretched out process. Um, I know exactly, actually, uh, because initially I was like, I'm not sure which company I'm talking about because I've had a couple bad ones, but there's one. You know, you talk to this person, then you got to talk to that person, then you got to talk to the hiring manager's grandma. And it's like, you know, it's like a whole thing. Uh, it happens. And they, these, you know, I remember I had a friend tell me like, oh, I need to talk to my hiring manager, Skip, who is on maternity leave. Something to that effect. And I have to wait a week to talk to this person before they make a decision. And I was like, your hiring manager, Skip. So your boss's boss's boss. Hmm. And they can't make a decision without this person uh, for an IC role. And I, we one can say, like, maybe they need to. But, like, if we think objectively, and I know the role, like, the role that I'm talking about, like, you really mm-hmm. don't need to. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Because um, they're not a small company either. It's not like, oh, we're a very tight-knit group. No, they're, like, mm-hmm. huge. Anyway, so stuff like that. But um, I, I think from both of our sides, we just ma- we just want, like you said, like, structure. We want to know what we're to, what we're going to expect, and regardless of that, like we would ideally want a relatively short process. We don't want to wait forever, right? Yeah. So, um, on the flip side, mm-hmm. this is always an interesting part. Like from a from a recruiter perspective in the tech industry, obviously where we both work, past companies we worked at. On the flip side, it is, I think, an evolving and ongoing conversation about how effectively you can assess a candidate's alignment to the role and requirements of the role in such a short amount of time. It's kind of like, um, I don't know if this analogy makes sense, but I feel it's like, it's like speed dating with interviewing. It's like, if you're speaking to someone for 30 minutes or even an hour, and let's just say they're committing to a year at your company, like you're rolling that at the end of the day, you're kind of rolling the dice no matter what, like how much can you actually like bet on in speaking with someone for an hour cap and have full confidence that they are going to like hundred percent align with the role. I don't, I think that's unrealistic, but so that from the, from the company side, I think it is a conundrum how much time you put into interviews and assessing talent. So you feel like you've made done your due diligence to fully assess and make a, uh, an educated decision that that person is going to be a good candidate for the role, a good hire. I think especially in markets where it's a hiring, like a hiring manager's market or like a company's market, It's not a candidate driven market. Uh, Companies take themselves a little too seriously. And I say that because, you know, we're no longer if using the dating analogy, this there's there's a few things we can say. But the first one I'll say is like, you know, you go on a few dates and then you decide to be in this relationship and then you wait several years and you're like, I'm going to marry this person. Our interview process isn't a precursor to a marriage. It's a precursor. to We're going to start dating. Right. Because relation because like jobs aren't you're not going to be here forever, right? We just have to mm-hmm. accept that's the market today. Uh, in that case, if, you know, all those things considered as a as a person looking at someone who might be unemployed, as a company looking at someone who might be unemployed or whatever, you're going to make me wait two months before I get a job, really? Like, is that fair, right? Uh, and on the other side of things, it's like, I don't think, so for me personally, I think a sweet spot, especially for in the tech market, I think if, if a company says the final round is a day, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bit much, but I'll still take it. It's not horrible. When it's it's a mu- it's a lot. When you're like, oh, it's three days. It's like, dude, I'm not taking three days off for one company's interview, right? Um, but I think like a four or five hours is a good sweet spot, right? Where if you do like three rounds in, let's say, forty five minute segments, three rounds. That's about a little three hours with some breaks in between Mm -hmm. i think that's a good sweet spot right and you do a phone screen before and whatever um and in that case on top of that we get to do background checks we get to do references if we want to 
So there's a lot of ways to Does figure anyone out. actually do references anymore? I know some agencies, like I, I know agencies that do it. Uh -huh. Um, and that's like a part of their, I don't know. Yeah. I had a hiring manager that was like to my recruiter, like, I want you to do a reference. And, and my recruiter responded with like, we don't do that, but if you want to, you can feel free. <laughs> I even remember back at like agency days, we would, we collected them, but didn't do anything with them. And then I, I don't think any of the last few companies I've worked at since then have done them. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think for me, it's like, most people won't give a name unless they know it's going to be good things, right? Oh yeah, and and so like it's not really valuable. But regardless, like coming back to the the idea of when you're when you're interviewing someone, we have all these other checkpoints. And also, do you like some people like oh I'm looking for the best candidate, or I oh this person is good, but someone better is out there. And it's like yeah, someone's better is out there, but that's not the point, right? Like that's really not the point because you want one, someone who's willing to come to your job. Maybe the best person is not willing to come to your company. You want two, someone that you can work with. So if you find someone that's a good candidate, a good person for this role, um, you know, that's where you should put your energy into. Um, so when it comes to, like you said, an hour, yeah, it's definitely not a lot. Uh, but if you get to spend like the recruiter screen, the hiring manager screen, and then you have a you know, three hour interview and a background check, I think that's that's enough to start dating. And then, yeah, if it doesn't work out, you can you can break up. This analogy is going to be hard for me to come up with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Follow-up question to that. The art of, especially if, in like engineering skill sets, product management skill sets, so often, I think this is an evolving, We can I think we can talk about the, the power struggle in a little bit as supply and demand shifts in the market, but um in a lot of technical skill sets a lot of companies have some sort of exercise test or assessment for candidates whether it's take home or during the interview prior to the interview i think i've i've seen it i think it was heavily that that step was heavily utilized by companies i think some have shifted away from it in more recent years so two, two probing thoughts I have for you then curious to hear your thoughts. So one, I personally think the incorporating some element of the interview process where candidates are able to show rather than tell is, is a positive. Cause I think it's, it's, I, I think about like ACTs and SAT tests uh, and all like the standardized tests we took as kids growing up, like that format is for one specific mind like some kids may not learn that way or or work that way or their brains may work definitely where it's not an accurate assessment of competency because it's not the way their brain works so i i like giving i like the idea of giving kids the ability to show rather than tell but at the same time from a candidate perspective, I've heard a lot of people bring up points too. Like if you're giving me like a case study as a product manager to like assess your like streaming app and I'm, I'm, it's like relevant to the work that you're doing. Like, are you paying me for my time? Like if I'm putting two hours or whatever into this assessment outside of the interview that I have to like take away from my job where I may be losing money. Like, are you paying me for the work that I'm doing and, or why am I doing this? Um, so I've heard two different perspectives on take home assessments. What are your thoughts? So I think it, so uh, when it comes to specifically for take home assessments, I think there's a line, right? Some companies will ask you for something ridiculous. And I've seen that before where like someone came to me and they were like, this is going to take me hours, not like a couple hours. It's going to take me hours. Well, like there's, and, and, and he, I think at the time, like the salary we talked about, he's like, it's not even close to my target salary. Why would I waste my time? And mm -hmm. he passed. Right. So I think there's a line. I think a couple hours isn't the end of the world, especially if you give them a couple days to do it. Cause two hours, that's probably where the line is. Um, I think the ideal sweet spot is about an hour. Like that's max, right? Um, when it comes to coding in general, um, I saw the reason I, I actually really like coding is nowadays more companies are becoming open to 
like a lot of organizations are like agnostic of language, which is good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I see, I saw like I was reading someone's experience where they were like, I bombed the first coding question. Like I did, it was garbage. But -hmm. then the next three I killed and I got the job. Right. So it's an opportunity to see how their thought process is, because a lot of times Mm -hmm. people like and especially in engineering and like IT roles, we ask you or I say we, but the company will ask you a question. The interviewer will ask you a question. And if you can if you can get the answer wrong, but your thought process makes sense to them, that's good. Right. Um, But so I think coding is definitely good. I think when it comes to like test cases and when it comes to stuff like that, where you're you're putting together basically strategies and things that company can use essentially um there's a line where you know i think two hours is the line is max possible i think an hour ish is about a sweet spot um about an hour and 10 minutes that yeah like i mean i just think it, it should my you should be able to get your point across so now if you can do that and you if it takes you an hour to do that or if it takes you 15 minutes to do that if you can just do a good job in getting the point across that's that's where it comes down to um but i yeah there's definitely value uh but again there is overkill and i think what we a lot of stuff we see from time to time is overkill Mm -hmm. sometimes you know there's companies out there that love to ask really ambiguous questions that it's like and i i wouldn't doesn't even make sense to me because i'm not there was one i swear i if i even if i can remember the client i won't say it when i was at the agency days there was a question that was like uh go tell me like how many blades of grass are outside or is this some like how would you figure that out what yeah no i i don't know maybe it works for some people no like my friend this wasn't even a technical role my friend was going for a role at a company and if i say the question people might guess who it is but i'm not going to um comment who you think it is um (laughs) but so the question was like we're opening an office in india and you have to throw a party for the opening day, how would you go about like throwing the party from the United States? Huh. And like, and it was just, and I was just like, it has nothing to do, nothing close to what this person's job is, but they wanted to know your thought process. And yeah. he uh, wasn't of Indian origin, but he asked me, he's like, what would you have said? I was like, I'd call my cousin and tell my cousin to do it. Like that was literally <laughs> going to be my, if they asked me that, that was my answer. Um, but I just think some of the, or it's not even, but like these, these questions, I understand what the thought process was initially, where it was like, oh, we want some innovative people who can think outside mm-hmm. the box. But yeah. now you're just being pretentious. Like now you're just being an ass because there you're no longer like some of these companies are no longer the coolest kids on the block. And it's not cute to ask these random questions because people don't even understand what they're doing. Um, and then I read another person that said, I went through the interview and I found out that the hiring committee never saw my interview, like never got the packet. And so they didn't even know that they asked me these crazy questions and, and I'm just rejected even before the hiring committee saw it. And I'm like, that's rough. Mm-hmm. You know, you go through like a couple hours of interviews and the hiring committee doesn't even see your results. Mm-hmm. Tough. Very tough. Yeah. I think so from all of that, you're trying, I think it's like, I think at the end of the day, like the style of an interview is really up to the company. And then it's up to you as a candidate to like assess if that style aligns with you. And if it doesn't, cool, don't interview. Um, But I definitely, I do think there's some like consistent um, things that people get right and consistent things. When I say people, companies, consistent things that companies get right and consistent things that they don't for sure. Um, I think, I think clear communication and setting expectations is a big one. I know I've, I've heard and experienced a lot of people, um, not wanting to share information with candidates and give them the answers to the test when they're coming into an interview. Mm -hmm. But I think, that's such like a backwards way of thinking and also not like a good experience for the candidate. But then, then again, that also comes down to power shift in roles and supply and demand in the market. So you had brought up a point before um, where obviously in today's world, it's what's the day today, February 17th. 
<laughs> February 17, 2023, mm-hmm. we're ex- like our industry is experiencing mass layoffs. Supply is through the roof and demand is significantly lower. So you hear a lot of managers or, you know, a lot of companies are now saying, okay, we have more room to be particular and demanding because we know supply is up. But, uh, what was it a year or two years ago, tides were turned. Hiring was at an insane rate across the tech industry. Supply was lower and that had shifted. Mm-hmm. How do you think what, like, what's your kind of perception on how supply and demand in our market shifts interview structure and how companies interview. So that's, so what I will, one of the things I'll start with by saying is I don't think it should, because I really respect when it's like we have a process and that's our process. Uh, And I think a lot of companies adhere to that, but I think the difference is more so like, oh, like we finished interviewing someone. Let's keep this candidate, you know, keep this candidate warm. Uh, but we're going to look for someone else. I think that's more prevalent in this situation. Whereas earlier, it's like, oh, this person has like one third of the qualifications hire them because we need someone to fill the seat. Um, but now it's more so like, okay, like, let's see what else. But again, I think, and maybe I'm being overly, like, overly optimistic, but I think a lot of hiring managers these days are a lot more empathetic than they used to be. Um, at least I've, I've, experienced that on my end when I when I look at like the managers I support or Why work with that is? um I think people have just upped their EQ a little bit like I think there's just more value in being empathetic empathetic yeah um so I maybe or maybe I'm just in this like tunnel vision it's very possible like I'm just seeing good things but I think in general, like people are trying a little bit harder to to have that empathy because the other thing is because this market's so crazy, a lot of these hiring managers know that there's a chance that they might be in the market looking later. So they want to put the good karma out there. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I see a little bit more of that. Yeah, for sure. I think so. that's a really good point. I think like, obviously, like you said, I think in an ideal world, the, the shift in market isn't going to alter a company's interview process. Well, I will say, I think, I think I'm sure we'll, we'll all learn more as we continue on in our careers and time moves on and figure out how to better interview and create a better experience for all parties involved. So I think like the evolution of interview structures are important, but being dictated by supply and demand, I don't think is obviously the right way to think about how you interview. Um, in terms of um, interviewing structure, what are your thoughts on structure versus go with the flow? On that spectrum, um. <laughs> where do you think interviewing should land? I think... I think structure is probably the most important thing. Um, I don't I don't think there's room to go with the flow because as soon as you start quote unquote going with the flow, it becomes an unfair process. Because person X had to go through four rounds, person B had a good vibe, so we gave him two rounds and hired for person B. Or we gave him two rounds because but then he bombed both of them and we want person A, but then person A bombed two rounds, but they killed two rounds. So this person missed, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think you got to be objective. You got to be, have a, you have to have a structure. Um, there's no room for anything, but again, that's the issue is the, the so the, what I'll say is let's say 2080, you should have a structure, but if your, you know, final round is always with the skip. In this case, the skip is out. You have to figure out something else. Define what you mean by skip. Just to make sure uh, uh, so, sorry. Yes, uh, a skip. A skip level is your man. The hiring manager's boss, uh, or your manager's manager. So let's say that person needs to interview at the final stage of every interview. That person's the person, and they're out on paternity leave, maternity leave. They're out sick, whatever. Uh, I, I really dislike when we make a candidate wait for a random 
round of like, oh, we have to talk to one more person. They're out till next week. You have to wait. Uh, it's just disrespectful to their time. And we want to respect everyone's time, right? Especially because we just have to understand like, even though the market, regardless of the market, good or bad, they have other opportunities, but also we just don't want to be those people. Like it's just not cool, right? So then, and that's why I think it's very important to have a standardized, standardized process. And you should be able to at any point replace interviewer two with interviewer five, interviewer four, you should be able to do that. And you should have a big, a plethora of people to call on. Uh, a lot of teams, depending on how small the company is, they're like, oh no, it has to be a people from our team. I think that's a little archaic um, because again, if you're looking at, you know, some people like, are they a culture fit? You know, we, I personally don't like that term. It's about culture ad, it's about growth. So Having someone, having your team having to interview someone, you do want them to meet. I do think they they should meet. I'm not against that. I'm not like it should be totally blind or random. Um, but I think it shouldn't be that rigid. So structure, but intelligent structure, right? Mm -hmm. um, but so with that, when I'm talking about structure, let me ask you a question. In terms of um, process, right? What would you say is a sweet spot? for? So I'll give you two, uh, two scenarios. Too. So first one is, from submission of application to placement, right? So time mm -hmm. to fill, or not time to fill, but submission to placement. Um, or And then what? how long do you think the interview process should be uh, up until decision? Like after mm. like they decided to interview the person. So those two things. That is a grand old question. Okay, I'll start with interview process timeline. I think my answer is going to vary a little bit depending on the exact skill set and level of the role, I would say. But I think in an ideal world, mid level. <clears throat> mid level. Okay. Mid level product manager from start to finish. Let's say we're talking screen with sourcer, hiring manager screen four-person interview loop that's scheduled same day, I would say an offer out. In an ideal, ideal world, I'd say a month. Realistically, with everyone getting scheduled. This is from when they applied? Yep. So they applied, recruiter looked at the, the resume, made the phone call, so mm -hmm. that's timer, a month. I would okay. say that's an ideal world, but I would also say, like knowing what I've experienced and I've seen, like there's so many factors that derail that timeline on on multiple parties like one there could be a thousand applicants on one role and there's one sourcer with 20 other recs having to review all those applicants so it's going to take that person time then the next step hiring manager has to review then they have to schedule something the candidates and hiring managers schedules are not always going to align like they're going to have conflicts so that's going to take some time then final loop there's more people involved, more calendars that have to get aligned. So like there's so many factors obviously that go into deterring that timeline. Um, it's hard, at least from from the recruiting side and getting everything scheduled. Yeah, but I think I, I mean I think from submission to offer out being a month, I think that's that's great, right? Yeah. If you think about it. And um and I was looking at another thing. There's a poll online uh and it said they were they asked like what percentage of the roles you you apply for do you get a callback or an interview and it was like less than 25%. Someone was like I'd be happy if I got to 10%, right? Yeah. Um and I think that just comes down to but so there's another point that was made a little bit underneath was and something I do want to touch on is one quality of resume and two when are you applying? Cuz I think mm -hmm. the biggest factors outside of like figure like the recruiter figuring out if they can get you into an interview is what does your resume look like? Right. And is it intuitive and is it nice? And I was actually having a conversation with someone else about that yesterday. And then the other one is when are you applying? And I think it should be, it's pretty safe to say uh, not always, but if you're not applying the week, the role comes out, you're probably not going to be seen by anyone. And I would even go as far depending on the role. market. Yeah. I'd say the first, and it's, if it's a remote role, if you need to do it, not a, not even the first day, you have to do it in the first like three hours. Right. That's crazy. Um, You'll see like um, job postings on there and within a day, there's 5,000 applicants. Like it's, well, that's, it's that's why you need to do Google alerts, LinkedIn alerts. Yep. Like if you're really out there and I think we talked about this earlier, but it's a full-time job. You have to be mm -hmm. on it. Um, but I think those two things 
are the biggest thing that when it comes to whether or not you're going to get a call, but also, um, let me ask you rather than me saying what I was thinking, I'll ask you, you know, we talk a lot about apply for the role, even if you're not, um, suitable for it. Right. And, and it's a nice thing Don't to say hit every single point, but as a recruiter, right. What are your thoughts on that? And, and I understand, okay, let's say not even seven out of 10, let's say you only hit like three or four out of 10 bullet points. Mm-hmm. Set expectations for me. Yeah. So multiple thoughts that I have on that point and like my own personal opinion, probably very little bit, but thoughts that I have when you ask that one, why the fuck not go for it? Literally sure. not going to hurt anyone. You might as well shoot your shot. If it doesn't stick like no harm, no foul, but then obviously if, if that's the approach you're taking, the volume of applications you're going to be putting in is probably a much higher volume. And then it's like, how customized are you? Um, how much of a customized resume or application are you submitting if that's the approach you're taking? And it's a much higher volume of applications. Um, what was your original question? No, I'm, I'm just saying just, no, just, just set expectations. Cause I, I think like, you know, um, I agree with you, but I also think like, don't expect to get that many interviews, right? Like, and, it, and it's yeah. kind of shitty yeah. to think But then it's like, it's, it's on the other side of it. Yeah. It's like, how much time are you taking to update your resume? Make sure like, let's say you're pro- applying to program management and project management roles. Like, are there variations in your resume? Are you customizing based on projects that you've worked on in the industry that you're applying to? Um, So I definitely think it's, it really depends on what approach you want to take. Like you could get lucky with throwing mud at the wall um, approach, but in my personal opinion, I think being more um, specific and mindful and focused in terms of how you apply your, how your resume looks, um, and how you go about getting to that initial step, there's a lot more likelihood of, of a return there. Yeah. And I think you have to network like, and, and the way that I want to put it is, and I don't want, and I'm like, I hope I don't offend anyone or anything, but if I'm a recruiter and I have someone that's hitting seven out of 10 or even 10 out of 10, and you have four out of 10, what reason do I have to send you to the hiring manager for review? Right. I'm like, that's not me doing a good job because there's people that are better qualified. However, mm-hmm. if you're out there, if you're out there networking with, and I'm not saying don't not networking with the recruiter, I mean, with the recruiter is fine and that's great. But if you're not, if you're in the industry and you're, and you're, cause you're pivoting or you're trying to jump or whatever, and you meet these people and you learn like what they're working on and then you do some side projects or whatever the case is, then they will want to interview on their own. Right. They will, they will want, they will send you the recruiter. Like, I'm going to interview this person. I met them. They seem really Mm -hmm. cool. That's what you would need to do to get those roles that are out of your reach. Um, Because if you're just applying and that's it, you're not going to get as, like, it's going to be like maybe less than a percentage Mm -hmm. that you're going to get interviews for. Yeah. Um, I would, I would add to that real quick. I think I, I agree with you. And I think at the end of the day, like, if that's what you want, like apply, like don't not apply because someone yeah. told you to, or you're worried, but yet you don't hit all the marks. Like it's never going to be a detriment to you for applying. But I think if we're just talking about today's market, if, if, I mean, this is slightly pessimistic, but I think it's also reality. I think if you have like less than 50% of the qualifications, you're likely not going to get seen unless you have a connection into the role. And I'll say that one, it's not necessarily always the right thing or an equitable experience, but networking is how people get contacts and intros to places that you wouldn't necessarily, if you're one of 2000 applicants, because I think the, the one reason that could benefit you if you have less than 50% of the requirements is are you given the opportunity to speak with someone 
or communicate with someone past the recruiter where you can articulate how your skill set aligns and will benefit the company because whoever's looking at that resume, whether it be the recruiter, the sourcer, a hiring manager, they're making a judgment based off that one piece of paper. They don't, they're not going to be able to talk to you. Like they're making judgments based on what you put on your resume. And obviously as much as we all like want that process to be as fair as equitable as possible, we're humans. Everyone has biases. So people are going to make judgments based on experience and what they know to be true, which may leave out someone who could have been a great candidate, but they have less than 50% of the qualifications. They don't align with the requirements of the role based on that one piece of paper that the res- or recruiter or hiring manager is looking at. Yeah, but I, but I don't I don't see really an ethical issue with, because I feel like when you network, right? I, I think it's still fair because I think you're doing extra work, right? It's a little, it's not like you're, see, the issue becomes when it's something to the effect of like nepotism where it's like, oh, this is my uncle who's going to give me a job and whatever. But when you're going out there and you're like working and you're showing your value and what, because you're, because they're not just like, oh, you're a nice person. You're having to talk about these skills. You're talking about what you're doing and what you're looking to do. And then they see the potential, and this is someone that my company can invest in and someone can value my company. So it's like you're doing an extra round of interviewing almost kind of. Um, so I think I I think it's a part of the process one way or another. I think it's a part of the process. Um, I will say that I, I definitely don't, I don't think that we're thinking networking is a bad thing. I think in my mind, I'm thinking of the element of, we're talking about like referrals for roles and we're looking at a team or an interview panel that, lacks let's say gender and racial diversity the statistics of them referring people who look like them and talk like them are very high so then it's like okay what level of um fairness or equity is there in that process if we're just looking at referrals yeah i mean but then my other thing would be like I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's a thing that you can't refer someone onto your own team, but I think I've heard of that for some other companies where yeah. you can't refer people for your own team. It has to be for a parallel. Yeah, or something. I know that companies have that with like the hiring manager and anyone on the interview panel can't refer yeah. or I can't, think, not necessarily can't refer. They can't be on the interview panel for yeah. someone they refer. I think that's a great way to make sure it's still fair. And I think that's a great way to keep it different. Cause if you have, let's say like a bunch of, similar people uh but teams hopefully in companies teams are different maybe they're a little homogenous in their own pockets but maybe they're different so that's a good way to to mix it up uh, again i think everything has to be done with a little bit of common sense i think that's a great way to to think about it um but yeah i think um common sense i like i like common sense cool <laughs> um Okay, so this is a little bit outside of the realm of interviewing, but I think it's it's a part of the process. And I think people, I know for a fact, people care and are passionate about this. Having to put your, like put in your resume, like upload your resume oh, and then Jesus. type in, uh, <laughs> type in all your information. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to say this. What the fuck is that about? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think unanimously, everyone hates it. Yep. And I feel like even companies that do it, people in their company hate it. But it's still it's still out there. Why? It's, I I I think there's there's like a gap. For all the ATS systems out there, like listen up. There's a gap in the tools because I'll say from like a recruiting perspective, I go straight to the resume. Like yeah. I don't look at any straight up. Like every, all the information that you put in the application that is all on your resume. There's no point in looking at both. Like you're having to put input that information twice. So like, I'll just go straight to the resume and everything I need to know is there. But I think companies utilize it obviously for like data keeping tracking purposes. And then I, th- there's also companies out there who obviously have automated systems that review and filter profiles in that initial stage based on what they enter. So I think those are those are reasons why it's probably occurring. Two of the reasons, not that they're right, but yeah, it's a pain in the ass. 
if you're spending money on a system that's going to be like pulling data straight from the resume, you can spend a little bit more money and make it so that it can transition that data into your, like from the resume into the system mm -hmm. rather than, because look, I know in the past I've literally started my application and saw that I had to do that and turned it off. Yep. And I think a lot of, a lot of people have done that. Um, and so what you're doing is, and no offense to anyone. And I say that a lot because I just want to make sure I don't offend people, but now you're, what you're actually doing is you're actually hurting your candidate pool because the people that are, really good might not be inclined to retype in their data because they have other options. So now you're getting people that are a little bit more desperate, maybe uh, nothing wrong with that. They could be just as good as employees, but I'm saying from a perspective, if you're trying to be objective, you want 100% of the people that want the job to apply to the job. That's what you want as, as an employer, because you want your, the ability to pick anyone that you can get. Right. And we talked about other things like perks and benefits, which is a whole other topic, but when it comes to this, why are you filtering people out? Right. Um, so I think from that perspective, uh, but you're right. Even with AI, I remember I, I did work at a company that that had an AI that was going to tell you what percentage. It was never right, first of all. Mm -hmm. It was never right what percentage like fit the candidate was. And we ended up, we just ignored it and we went to the resume. Um, there's never going to, well, not there's never going to be a time, but usually we're going to, for the foreseeable future, you know, until Chad GPT takes our jobs, uh, mm -hmm. we're going <laughs> to, I joke about it, but I'm kind of worried. Uh, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to check the the resume. So that's all you ATS companies, everybody. We're not going to name names, but you know who you are. Fix it. Do you feel the same about cover letters? I think cover letters are, so again, I think sometimes companies take themselves too seriously. And some companies like require cover letters, which I don't get. But oh. if you're pivoting, you should have a cover letter. If you're pivoting and if you're and or if you are, um, this is your first job, depending on the role, you should have a cover letter. Um, because I think that you need to, if, if especially if you're pivoting, uh, one, you should be networking. But either way, you should have something that's not just this is what I've done, which is what your resume is. But this is how this how this is how this relates to what you are asking me to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what that cover letter is going to tell. Um, because, again, we talked about if you're only checking four out of 10 boxes, mm -hmm. but if your cover letter is comp compelling and telling me why you actually check all 10 boxes, but it's not one for one. I still think you need to network. There's a lot of extra work to be done because even reading an extra cover letter as a recruiter, I really don't want to because I shouldn't have to. Like ideally the resume should tell the story, but it doesn't sometimes. And we respect that and we understand that. And that's why we talk to candidates. Like if I see a candidate that has 50% of the stuff, I'll have a phone call with them because there's a story there, right? Um, so yeah, I think, oh yeah, that's my dog. He's uh, wants to, <laughs> He wants to go out. Um, but we'll go out in a bit. Um, he will guest star in more more episodes. But yeah, so I know you don't like cover letters, Fran, and I get it. Yeah, I get your I your logic sense. totally makes sense though. And then it also made me think of I was like future state. I think we need there was over the last couple of years. I think there was a pretty hefty sh shift journey. I don't know the word I'm looking for. There was a a migration of mm, nice word. That was the word. Thank you um migration of people coming from education like teachers into tech in the last few years so i'd be interested okay. to talk to someone um who had that journey and how they they pivoted mm. um cuz it's not like i just those two titles at the top of my head i'm like those are like pretty different mm -hmm. in terms of function and day-to-day -day activity but Obviously, there's a lot of like competencies within both that align um, sure. that have paid off for a lot of people. But I digress. No, um, I've, I've seen that between recruiting. And so I've seen there's a mm -hmm. big company out there that they have a, they have this program or something to get recruiters to become PMs, mm. program managers. And then I have a, I know a few people that have done that, too. Um, mm -hmm. But because the thing is, like. What do recruiters do? They handle clients. They, you know, set up processes. They they do a lot of these different, you know, things, stakeholder management that mm -hmm. PMs have to do and just a little tweak. So I've seen them and they have cover letters explaining all that stuff. 
Um, again, I don't think you can just submit that and hope for the best. I think you have to have conversations and stuff like that. But besides that, if you're going, if you're like, you're a seven-year engineer and they're looking for a seven-year engineer, you don't need a cover letter and companies, you don't need to ask for a cover letter because it's in the resume. Yeah. yeah so, um, oh, let's have, I have one real, you know, we have some more time. Uh, COVID ending or not ending, but COVID protocols ending for a lot of companies and in-person interviews. What do you think? Uh, I have similar thoughts as to return to office, but specific to interviews with moving back in person, I'm torn. So one, I think it's a really cool experience for candidates to go into an office, go into a campus and meet and speak with people face to face. I think you get to assess a lot more of like the culture when it's a face to face interaction. Um, and if a company has a mandate for you to be in office, you get to see what it looks like, see what your drive or commute into the office would look like. I think there are a lot of benefits to in-person but then at the same time, just as I, I had the same thoughts with return to office mandates, I think if we're talking about, let's say, an individual who has a disability and it's a lot easier for them to work from home, um, my concern is the lack of equity with requiring individuals to come into an office for an interview and or work. I, I get that. So now my thought is, at least when it comes to interview, how do you ensure an equitable process if Consistent. some people are coming in and some people aren't? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I, but even before that, even before that, I would say, and it goes for return to work too. But we're not going into that right now. But when it comes to interview, make it worth them coming into the office. If you're going to do the same stuff that they were going to do on on a Zoom call, like there's no point. There's no value, mm-hmm. right? Make it cool. And, you know, there were companies back in the day that would make interviews. Like, I had friends that came back from interviews and like, that was so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I did a bunch of random shit. I'd eat some free lunch. Yeah. Like, a really cool tour. Saw the ping pong tables. Got some merch sometimes, depending on the company, right? Like, yeah. so there, there's there's many different things you could do. Actually, so when the first question you asked about the best interview that I've ever had, they gave me a little gift card. They're like, hey, listen, it's not in person, so we're not going to be doing lunch, but usually we take you out for lunch. Here is an Uber Eats gift card for like 50 Sounds bucks. like a bribe. Uh, probably is, but you know what? I appreciated it because I, I like, because the thing is, they a lot of companies would take you out for lunch, right? They'd be like, yeah. oh, let's go to lunch, right? As a team or whatever, mm-hmm. depending on the company. So I think, what is your interview process is it, I don't want to say cool, because I don't want to make it seem like you have to make it gimmicky. That's not what it is. You have to show value for them coming in. Um, you know, make it really interesting. Like for, you know, are you giving them a, giving them an actual tour, right? If you're really bringing them into a room, talking to, you know, eight people and then they're leaving, that's pretty shitty. But if you're giving them a tour and you're showing them, oh, this and that, and mm-hmm. this is what's cool, that's that's where it's at, Right. Um, and then when it comes to what you're saying, I 100% agree. I And I don't think, and I think there's another thing, even before we talk about the final round interviews, there was, there, I've heard conversations of like, oh, recruiters should be doing face-to-face conversations in the office. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this for, I'm going to say this for me right now. Uh, quote me. It is disrespectful to a candidate's time uh just to do that and it look if they don't have if they're currently not employed they might be they'd be willing it's fine but then there's also an equity issue because if i have a job i'm not coming in i'm not going to take off for work for one hour face to face with a recruiter no offense to recruiters heck i am a recruiter that's not the point but the point is if i have a job i'm i'm not doing that i'll do a phone call we'll figure that out lunch break fine now, if someone's willing to come into the office because they're not currently employed and this other candidate has a job so they can't come in the office, that also messes with the, the whole equity piece, mm-hmm. right? So there needs, to, again, structure, being standardized and taking into account what makes sense for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's value face-to-face. That's definitely something that is for sure. Uh, and then again, 
you have to figure out a way to make it equitable for someone who can't come in because they have a disability. I totally think that that's for sure. But again, that's why you can't just go with the flow because you have to think mm -hmm. of these inequities that come in. Um, and again, you can't be too rigid because you can't be like, nope, they have to come in. I don't care if whatever situations they have. So um, it's a, it's, it's a balancing act, but I think again, have conversations like, you know, how are you determining your process? Are you talking to candidates? Are you sending a survey at the end of interviews? I don't think that's a bad idea. I don't think that it's very useful if you do it after the um, you give them the result because if they didn't get the job, mm -hmm. they're probably not going to. So you should probably do it right after before giving the result. But how many surveys are you giving out for the for the interview process? Um, and you tell them that it's anonymous and every person interviewing is doing it. So we'll never know it's from you. So it won't affect. So if you curse us out, we're not going to reject you for it. Um, but I, you got to, you got to collect data and it's, and it can't just be, Oh, you got the job. Tell us what you think about the interview process. Cause they're not going to, you know, shit on the interview that got them the job. Mm -hmm. um, but we need to know. I mean, I think everybody needs to ask more questions. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, Anything else so, you wanted to cover on this? What, one? what do you okay? So let's let's uh let's let's recap real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so concise, structured, manage expectations beforehand, let them know what they're in for. Communication. Communication. Consistent. Timely feedback. I think that we didn't touch too much on it, but I think that's something that like some companies will just it, it both ways, candidates goes to, but some some recruiters goes to. I, I've I've heard of it, right? I may have done it before in the past once or twice, if I'm being honest, it happens. Um, actually, that's not true. After a final, it's very unlikely that I've ever ghosted someone after a final interview. That's shady. Um, but either way, getting I back to people. I would venture to assume for you and like me, myself, like I would never be like a malintent of not reaching back out to someone to give them an update. You forget and then it's been too long so you don't say anything. Um but I don't, I really don't. I feel like after a final, I'm very keen because I want to get them in there. So I'm very keen on trying to get them, but I don't know. It's been a while. Um, but I think timely feedback um, and, and adaptation, adapting to the people out there. Uh, mm -hmm. But if we forgot something, please let us know because there's a good chance we did forget some stuff. Uh, but maybe we do a part two of this in like six months and see what, what that interview landscape looks like based on the difference in the market. Yeah, I'm sure it'll change. Yeah, I, I mean, just based on what happened in the last six months, it has to almost change. Oi, oi, <laughs> oi, oi, oi. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Comment, subscribe, and we will see you all next episode. Sincerely, Fred and Chulo.